So if you got your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to start our study of Scripture today. And we're in this series called Change My Mind, where we're talking about this idea that for so long, Christianity has kind of been this idea, hey, you have to check your brain at the door. Just live by faith. Don't don't really question anything. But that is not the teaching of the Apostle Paul. It's not what we were commanded to do. A lot of times we think that Christianity is simply one of two things. It's changing how I act, my behaviors, uh, breaking into some new moral code, or just changing how I feel. Uh, the ideas that come into my mind, stop thinking about certain things and start thinking about other things, the, these feelings. Uh, and I have to feel a certain way and I can't feel another way. But Paul in Romans tells us something completely different. He says, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I love some of what it says there. It says, have your mind renewed. Use testing and discernment to find out what's true. It means to actually think and engage with our faith, not just to sit back and say, well, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It's one of these things when God says that we actually have to talk through uh, our faith and talk through what's going on in our life and begin to think and discuss it with other people. When all we do is think about how we act or how we feel, eventually this is going to lead us to a place of failure where we're constantly uh, giving up because we're not doing the right things or not feeling the right things, or it's going to lead us to a place of inauthenticity where we act like we don't have those bad feelings anymore. Or we act like we're not doing anything wrong anymore, and we try to hide that. And both those feelings of inadequacy and inauthenticity will make us want to sometimes walk away from our faith or will certainly, at the very least, make our faith unattractive to other people. So over the next few weeks, as we started last week, we're going to go through and look at some of these change, these shifts in our mind of how we change how we think. And as we do that, we'll learn that as our mind is transformed, and our view of Christ is transformed, this new mind will impact everything uh, we do and how we walk through this world. Last week, we looked at changing from judgment mindset to a mindset of encouragement, from a mindset that leads us to arrogance and isolation to a mindset that causes us to show kindness, tenderheartedness, and be forgiving toward one another. To be able to have this shift in mindset and this view, we have to to really understand that God wants something different for us and how we think. And again, to be able to have this shift, we have to view how we interact with God and with others, and we must embrace a different mindset shift that will change how we view and interact with God as well. When we hear the term God, so when I talk about interacting with God, we probably have as many different opinions as there are people in this room. In reality, our view of God has been shaped by our upbringing, our religious background, our experiences, cultural and historical representations, and our own personal experiences with God. For many of us, we view God as something to be understood, a concept to be explored, or like a picture to be revealed. But this isn't how God desires for us to experience him. I remember when we were traveling before going to visit museums and seeing some of the world famous art. I remember going and seeing the Mona Lisa and getting close to it, getting very close, but not being able to touch it or really inspect it. I remember going to see the statue of David uh, in Florence and looking at it and getting up and, and being amazed by how perfect it looked. And we could only view those from afar. I didn't get to 
take the Mona Lisa or the Statue of David and bring it home with me and have it in my apartment now. It's not sitting in my living room where I can admire it and engage with it every day. It's something I had to engage with from afar. And many of us view our relationship with God as that, like an idea, a concept, not an actual person. And we have many reasons we've turned God into this ideology instead of embracing him with intimacy. And so today I want us to look at how we can move our understanding from God from something we admire to someone we experience life with. And in this process, we're going to see that this kind of thinking will radically impact our view and understanding of the world and how we walk through it. So let's start by this embrace, looking at this old way of thinking of being ideological, having ideology about God. One of the most damaging results of many organized religions is that instead of teaching people how to get to know the person of God, they have taught people how to understand the idea of God. We often teach about what God is, and we define him by a certain set of beliefs and characteristics. We can fall into this trap of making God an ideology versus a relationship that we engage with. Just look at how easy it is for us to often describe God by what he is instead of what he does. Think about this. We describe him like a statue, not a living being. We'll say God is love versus really believing that God loves me. We'll say God is gracious versus truly believing that God forgives me. We'll say God is holy versus God teaches me how to live. God is omnipotent versus God protects me. God is merciful versus God understands me. God is creator versus God knows me intimately. When we, when all we do is make God an image to be worshiped, an idea to be followed, it will impact how we follow him. We'll start to embrace the idea that if God is simply a picture to be viewed and appreciated, then that is what he wants in return. Just an external picture of our lives that looks nice, that others can admire and be proud of. We start to shift from wanting to get to know God to just trying to impress or please God. The other night, Katie and I were watching TV, watching a movie, and uh, there came a scene where this guy had his shirt off and he had a nice set of six-pack abs. And I asked Katie, I said, "Is you know, should I work for that? Is that what you want? You know, and she said, well, it's nice. It looks nice. But she said, I also prefer sitting on the couch with you sharing a glass of wine. And it's this idea that, you know, sometimes we will just want this external without the intimacy. We want to look good and exercise and create this external experience. But in doing so, sometimes we forfeit the time and intimacy that we get to spend with the other person. We start doing things just for show, just to live up to a standard that we think God has created. We try to be the statue of David for God instead of being the man after God's own heart that God described David to be. When we live like this, our internal and external stop working together and actually start to oppose each other. Internally, we want to be known, to be understood, to be loved, to be accepted, to be protected and forgiven. But when following God is simply an ideology, our external starts to embrace actions and display attitudes that try to impress God and others. We work to try to build some image up. This is when we end up in this awkward and uncomfortable place that Jesus refers to as hypocrisy. And this is what he confronts everywhere he went. In the Gospel of Luke, there's an interaction that displays how Jesus confronts living by ideology 
instead of by intimacy. Look at Luke 11 verses 37 through 40, and it says this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? This is quite a scene here. These so-called religious leaders invite Jesus into their home for dinner. There seems to be a nice gesture, but they aren't really looking for intimacy as we see here. They're actually looking for Jesus to affirm their checklist, to embrace their ideology and their way of thinking. They weren't worried about dinner. They didn't think about what would Jesus enjoy? How could we have a great time together? They wanted to see if he would follow their practices and affirm their practices. They didn't create a place of comfort and welcoming and intimacy. They created a place to look at ideology and to judge people. It reminds me, growing up, my mom and dad had a room they called the sitting room. And I don't know why it was called the sitting room because we weren't allowed to sit in there. The, the furniture was very nice. It was always put together. The pillows were always in the same place. And the only time we had to sit in that sitting room were for special occasions or if we were in trouble. And it's this idea, the same thing. It's we want to create this thing where Jesus and in our lives that just looks nice but is never used. That's an ideology and not intimacy. What, what are some marks of an ideologist? Somebody who just wants to embrace the ideology of Jesus versus have an intimate relationship with him. We can see in the passage here a few of these marks. One is this. They're all about task and not about the time. They're about following the rules. Jesus, did you come in? Did you wash your hands? Did you do this and then do this and this? It's not about spending time with Jesus. It's about following task. And if we make Christianity an ideology, we become all about the task and not about the time that we get to spend with Christ and with others. It also is, says they're all show and no depth, right? It even says, he calls them out. He says, you are still full of greed. He says, you're trying to be gracious. Act like you're gracious by inviting me to your home as a show, but there's no depth. You're still full of greed on the inside. And this is a challenge we have to look at is sometimes we know how to put on the mask, put on the show. And that's ideology, but true intimacy is going deeper, getting past the show and going deep. Third mark of an ideologist is they're all knowledge and no practice. He also said they're still full of wickedness, of greed and wickedness. So it's not that they, they knew what to say. They knew what to say was right and how to do it, but they just didn't do it. They, they had the knowledge, but no practice. They weren't willing to walk with and put into practice what God had already taught them. And then finally, he calls them fools, which means they're all about perception and no understanding. They could perceive and, and maybe see some things about God, but there was no true understanding of who God is and what kind of relationship God really wanted with them. They just viewed God as a statue, as a beautiful piece of art, something to be admired, something, not someone. And that's their perception with no understanding. They didn't want to be with Jesus. They just wanted to impress him. Now, what's the danger of having this kind of ideological mindset? I think it creates a couple of things in our life. Just like last week, having a judgmental mindset created arrogance and isolation. Having this kind of ideological mindset creates some issues in our life as well. And the first thing it creates is this. It creates an environment of obligation. 
We view God and following him as something we have to do versus something we get to do. We stop believing that his commands are for our good and instead believe that they are to separate the just from the unjust, that they're like a hurdle that we have to get over to keep moving forward instead of understanding that his commands are a tool that help us overcome these obstacles in our life. And the truth is when we create this kind of obligation environment, it causes weariness in our life. We grow weary, we get tired, we always feel like we're behind. We always feel like there's another hurdle to get over and God's truly not gonna be pleased with us until we're that beautiful, perfect image and representation versus him understanding that we just, he just wants us to walk with him. But the second thing, the second danger that it creates in our life is an environment of guilt. We constantly look at the bad and what we've done or the good that we didn't do. And instead of dealing with it, we try to cover it up. We keep God at a distance because if we let him too close, we know he'll see the cracks and the imperfections. And we end up treating people the same way. We use guilt to manipulate others, to coerce others into embracing something instead of someone. And here's what happens when we allow guilt into our life. We live a life that's worrisome. Worry overtakes our life. Worry that I'm not up to standards. Worry that someone's thinking something bad about me versus really embracing the intimacy of Christ. Now, why do we do this? Why do we embrace this ideological mindset? God as an idea versus God as a person. We can recognize the signs in our lives and even see the dangers, but the truth is too often this mindset runs through our lives. Why? Why do we often default to this way of thinking as God as an idea? And I think it comes down to one major issue, and that major issue is doubt. What do we doubt? We doubt that God can be known and that God wants to know us. We doubt that his commands that sometimes are so difficult to follow will actually bring good into our lives. We doubt that he wants good for me and instead is just out to highlight my deficiencies and shortcomings. These doubts drive how we act and how we think about God and what it means to follow him. And these doubts can lead us to a few places in our lives. And here's what doubt will do. Doubt will make us elevate feats of doing things for our God over faith. We start to determine how serious I am or how serious somebody else is about God by determining their actions and their feats for God by actually how much they're actually trusting and walking and being intimate with God. It also makes us embrace comparison over companionship. We start to compare ourselves to other people. How are we doing compared to this person? And if I can do better, maybe my doubts will go away. Instead of actually viewing this life with God through Christ as a companionship, as a way that we do life together. And finally, doubts make us erase hope with this heaviness. We don't look forward with hope and joy and anticipation. We start looking forward with a heavy heart of what else I have to do and what the questions I have are that I can't bring up. I think I can't bring up. This is not how God wanted us to live. This is the exact opposite of what it means to connect with God. And the writer of Hebrews paints a very different picture of what it means to embrace God in our lives and what it means to lay down our ideology and pick up intimacy. I want you to look at this passage out of Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 25, as we begin to look at what it means to have a new mindset of intimacy. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast this confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at the words in this passage. Confidence, door is opened. We should be near, have assurance. We have faith, clean, pure, hope without wavering. These are words of an invitation, not to get to know about God, but to get to know him personally, to embrace this idea that there is a person of God, not just a persona of God to know. And this is the new way of thinking, of embracing intimacy. This Hebrews passage talks about drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is the definition of intimacy. God is someone who can be known and we can approach him, draw near to him. But to do so, we need two things. And these two things are not deeds we have to perform or even actions to undertake. Instead, they are mindsets to have. A mindset of intimacy starts with this first, a true heart. God wants you to come to him as yourself, not to disguise or be behind a mask, but with your true heart, your true self on display. Come as you are to be known. That's his invitation to you, is to come with a true heart. And this is a challenge. Think about how difficult it is even to do in our own personal relationships, even in those we're closest to, with a spouse, family, friends. How often do we put on a mask and instead of embracing and coming with a true heart, we put something in front, something that keeps a distance. And God says, as long as you choose not to come with a true heart, you're never gonna experience true intimacy. But he says, second is this, not just come with a true heart, come with an assurance of faith. This is a willingness to overcome your doubts your perceptions, and your personal bias toward God that has been crafted in your own life and experiences and come to believe with full assurance this, that God wants you in his presence. God desires to have you with him. It isn't a burden or a chore to have him, for him to have a relationship with you. It is what he desired from you from the very beginning. This idea of assurance of faith is this. God's not saying it's a bad thing to have doubts. We're all gonna have doubts. But what he's challenged you to do is this, is to doubt your doubts as much as what you doubt about him. Put them to the test as well. Test your doubts as much as you put him to the test. And what he's saying is in doing so, you're gonna have an assurance of faith because he will show that he actually desires to wanna know you for who you are. You may say, well, this isn't how I understand God to be. And it may not be your understanding but it is how he has demonstrated himself throughout history. When we go back to the very beginning, we see this picture of a God who consistently and constantly desires to be with his creation, where he invites us in to have total assurance with a true heart and total assurance to come in and have a relationship with him. Think about it. We first meet God in the garden. And in the garden of Eden, his desire is to walk with us, to talk with us, 
to exist together with no barrier in between. He even created man and woman with no clothes and, and no, no, no physical barrier between him and them. And when the first sin happened, when sin came into that garden, what happened? Clothing came in to, to hide ourselves, to, to bring shame and to create a barrier between us and God. But from the very beginning in the garden, God wanted to walk and to be with us. Yet even though creation rebelled, he didn't walk away. He persisted. Later on, when the Israelites are journeying through on the way to the promised land, he creates a way for him to meet with them, even though they're homeless. And we see that we get to interact with him in what was called the tent of meeting. And even as his followers were home, homeless, God created a place, a tent, where his pleasant presence could dwell and they could meet with him. And the same is true in our life. Even when we're out wandering in sin, when we feel like we don't deserve or maybe God doesn't want to be with, he said, no, I'm here. Wherever desert you're in, whatever darkness you're in, there's a tent, there's a place I'm willing to meet with you. And then we see God demonstrate his presence even more through the Ark of the Covenant. This, this thing that was built to hold and demonstrate his presence and the ultimate representation of the power and holiness of God. And God did not create this ark that went before the armies and stood in the temple. For He did not create it for fear, but for inspiration and awe, so that even when we feel overwhelmed, we can look to him and his presence and be renewed and have strength. And this is what the ark of the covenant represents, his presence bringing strength into our lives in the moments of our greatest despair. And then God, when they, with the Israelites, when they took over the promised land and they settled there, he said, I want you to build a tabernacle. And this was a display of God creating a home for he and his people. It was a tangible expression of his desire for intimacy. It was an invitation to dwell with him, a desire to come and be with him. It was the gathering place, the permanent gathering place. It was his home. And he invited the nation of Israel and his followers to come be in his home every day. And this is what intimacy is about. It's about engaging in our life and being at home with God. And finally, then God appeared in the form of a savior. Jesus wasn't a picture of God. He wasn't just a good man who pointed people to God. He was God dwelling with us, walking with us. Jesus and God aren't different. They are one. How better to show your desire to be with your creation than to actually become one of them? Jesus was the ultimate expression of God desiring to be with people. And then finally, in this whole journey from the garden to the tent of meeting, to the Ark of the Covenant, to the tabernacle, to Jesus, he finally connects with us through the indwelling of his spirit. As meaningful as it is for God to personally walk on this earth and to be a part of his creation, his ultimate gift of intimacy is an invitation for you and I to join our souls with him. Through this sacred act of God and Christ, the sacrifice of God through Christ, we get to know him personally and he invites us to dwell with him. Through our Savior, we become the tabernacle. We have the power of the ark. We have the assurance that he is going to meet with us in the tent every day. And our whole world then becomes the garden again as we get to walk through this life with him. 
So how is this intimacy experienced? How do we experience this? How do we move from ideas to intimacy? The last verses of Hebrews, and we'll close with this, point to it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, look again, it says this. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He tells us there's two ways to embrace intimacy here. One, stir up love and good works. This isn't a call to action or a call to do things or to accomplish tasks. Instead, it is a call to remind each other of what God has done in our lives. It reminds me of a snow globe, right? You, you let a snow globe sit unmoved and unattended to for a long time and the snow sits on the bottom. And the way that you most enjoy a snow globe is you come and you shake it and the snow moves around and it looks like it's moving again and it's snowing. It's designed to be stirred up, to be activated. And that's what he's saying here. Come together, remind each other of the faithfulness of God. Stir it up in one another's lives. Remind what good works have come into your life. Remind the love that you've experienced in your life. We embrace intimacy by stirring up the love of God in each other's lives, by reminding each other of the good works that God has done. But secondly, he says, to meet together for encouragement. And this is the second way that we embrace intimacy is to meet together to share about the way that our lives are being impacted by our intimate relationship with God. It's sharing our triumphs and our trials, our victories and our defeats, joining together to meet and to remember. These two things, stirring one another up by meeting together with one another to encourage, allows us to grow toward intimacy, not just with God, but with other people as well. I want to close with this key thought. Intimacy isn't an action. It's a position. If we think it's an action, our following God will eventually turn into an ideological display. But when we view it as a position, being close to God, then intimacy grows. Each day we must choose to position ourselves near to God because he has already demonstrated and chosen that he is placing himself near to us. My question for the day is this. What idea about God are you embracing more than God himself. God wants to know you and to be known by you. He is not hiding his face. He's not making us chase after him. Instead, he has open arms calling you home to embrace you. Would we stop embracing the idea of God and instead start to embrace God himself? Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you've chosen to get to know us. You didn't create us and then run from us and hide from us and leave us to our own devices. Instead, you created this beautiful world that we get to live in that's a constant reminder of you. You even created difficult experiences that as we walk through those, remind us of your faithfulness. God, you have been consistent and faithful to demonstrate that you want intimacy with us. Help us not to get caught up in the religious trappings of ideology, but instead to embrace you as not something, but someone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.